Welcome to Legal Nurse Podcast, where you will get tips to expand your legal nurse consulting skills. Every week, you'll hear from experts from within and outside of legal nurse consulting. They will share their knowledge to help you grow. Your show is moderated by Pat Iyer, a legal nurse consultant with 30 years experience. So join our community, sit back, relax, and get ready to learn. Here's Pat. Welcome to Legal Nurse Podcast. I'm Pat Iyer, and I have with me Tez Breyers, who I have met um, on a number of occasions, probably at least a dozen or so. Tez has been active in going to ALNC conferences. I know I've met her there in person, and she is currently on the certification board for the American Association of Legal Nurse Consultants. She is a lifelong resident of New Orleans, which I know is pronounced Nolens, I think. Is that correct? (laughs) You don't say New Orleans, for sure. And she has extensive experience as a legal nurse consultant, both working in in in-house positions for a variety of law firms in the Louisiana area, as well as being independent as a legal nurse consultant. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Pat. I know as we talked about some of the kinds of cases that you worked on, you mentioned that you've worked on many nursing home cases. And for that type of case, it can be a little mysterious to a legal nurse consultant who's used to looking at hospital records. That's correct. What are some of the things that you do with those records? And first of all, I think I should take a step back and say, are nursing home records laid out the same way as hospital records? Or are there some significant differences in the way the documentation is done in a nursing home? Well, there are significant differences in the way that the uh, records are organized. Um, There are definitely um, documents within the nursing home records that are not in a hospital record. Um, The first thing I would recommend when you get a nursing home case, the first document you want to look at would be the um, the plaintiff complaint, and we'll I'll, I'll take us to um, a plaintiff side viewpoint and also a defendant viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, what you would want to do is first look at the the complaint to find out exactly what what to focus on. For example, if this is a um, case about a pressure ulcer then you would certainly want to focus on the wound care records, any pictures they have, any orders that the physician gave. Um, Now, the nursing home records usually are very voluminous, voluminous, and they um, many times they are not in order. So um, what I do, I look through the records and I look at the complaint and I match um, for instance, if it's a medication error, I'll pull the MARs initially. And then if it's, like I said, if it's a wound care case, I'll pull the wound care records. So anything that's not pertinent, 
I would set aside, for example, if, if it's a wound care, the treatment records are important. And those are usually uh, one page of like a monthly calendar and their check boxes at certain times when you do the treatments. So those would be important. So I would focus on those. I would put aside um, perhaps, well, in that case, you'd almost need to look at everything. But um, primarily, I would focus initially on when the, when the nursing home patient is admitted, there's what is called a minimum data set. It's, a, it's federally mandated that all nursing homes have these completed by the nurses, by the RNs. So, and, and this, they are comprehensive. They cover everything from um, social history to uh, neurological status to skin status. Did they come in with a um, stage one pressure ulcer? Um, was, and then they, they do this maybe several times um, at intervals. So they'll ask, was this uh, pressure wound there on, on admit? So once you have your pertinent documents, then you can compare those to, uh, with the complaint. So if it's a wound care, you'll pull out those documents, pull out the pictures, and then... Um, we can go, I guess, go into a few points from here because that, mm -hmm. that part is pretty well self-explanatory. So are the pictures always stored with a medical record? Usually, but they may be black and white. They may be not really um, legible. <laughs> mm -hmm. So you may need to put in another request for actual color pictures or legible photographs. And then if you're working for a plaintiff attorney who's having you look at this case to determine if it's worthwhile filing, you might have not have the complaint, but you definitely would have that if you were working with the defense firm who was responding to the plaintiff's complaint, just to clarify, make sure that that's clear. Right, right. Now, you would have some idea... If, you, if you're reviewing the case for merit, you would have some idea of, of what you're looking for. You, you're right. You would not have the formal complaint as of yet. Um, and also, to just to clarify, the minimum data set, there are some of our listeners who may not be familiar with that term if they are outside of the United States. Oh, okay. Minimum da data set come about and you know and who's in charge of sending that out to nursing homes to use well the federal government it's a mandate from the federal government um, probably from medicare that they fill this since it's federal it probably is medicare um, that they complete these forms and they are as i said very comprehensive um, starting with the uh, family history um, they go through each system, uh, gastrointestinal, neurological, just as you would for uh, a nursing or an assessment. And you can find there if there was any type of pressure ulcer or skin um, issues upon admit. So then you would know 
where you where you stand, whether mm -hmm. you're a plaintiff or defense. Now, when you were working with defense firms, were you involved in in helping to do summaries of nursing home records, or or what specific requests did the attorneys have of you as an in-house nurse related to nursing home cases, for example? All right. So when I was assigned a nursing home case in-house, and I pretty well do it now, too, as it independent. I would first take the steps that we just described to find out what, you know, what the issue is. Um, try to get those, the records somewhat organized because they are, usually it's at least 500 pages, maybe a thousand or more, depending how long the, the person has been a resident or a patient if it's a skilled one. So I would take these, I would analyze the records um, Initially, I would look through the records without writing anything. Well, I mean, I would take notes mm -hmm. um, and handwritten notes. And then I would go back and do a chronology, um, a written chronology, so that if, let's say it was a period of time that this incident occurred, if they didn't check on the person for, say, um, five hours, and then in that five hours, something terrible happened. Then I would, I would have the chronology focus like almost minute by minute on that time period. And then I would, um, but I would also have a general chronology of if they had been in a previous facility, what, what went on there, if they had any pressure ulcers there. Um, if, if they did have pressure ulcers there, then I would compare those to, um, to the ones that allegedly were developed in the, in the facility. Did you ever come into cases where um, a patient was discharged from a hospital with say a stage two pressure sore and then got to the nursing home a half an hour later and had a stage four pressure sore? Um, I don't know that it was, a half an hour later, but yes, they have, yes, absolutely. Some significant and, differences. <laughs> right. And um, one, one story that, that I can relate to, because this was a relative, did not go into litigation, but this would be um, from a plaintiff's point of view. And I actually, it, actually, my brother was in a nursing home after he suffered a stroke. Um, and he was there for maybe 10 years, and he did great. Um, I was very impressed with the care. Well, then COVID rolled around, and they changed his room. They, he had a private room. They put him in a different room with uh, other residents. And he just went downhill from there, and he started developing pressure ulcers. And I, would, I could not, usually I would oversee his care and be an advocate, well, I could not, could not go into the home to, um, to check on him. I was relying on what the staff told me. So the, there was a wound care nurse, I'll put that in quotes, wound care nurse, because I don't think she was a certified wound care nurse, but she would give me reports every day or one, you know, every couple of days. Okay, he's going to the hospital for wound care twice this week. His appointment is on this day. And then 
I, I called a, uh, the wound care center. I keep in touch with them as well. And so when they did not, he did not show up one day. And so I called the nursing home and I said, well, what, what happened? And they said, oh, we had a mistake with the schedule. We didn't, but we'll send him next week. And he just declined from there. And eventually he passed away and he was in mm -hmm. the office and passed away. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking, had I, you know, was there anything I could have done at that point? But the, anyway, so that would be a plaintiff point of view that yeah. the nursing home, you know, was obviously had a breach in the standard and that's what you would follow. Mm -hmm. Now, from a defense point of view, I had a case where there, okay, the treatment are usually like check boxes, as I said, it's a calendar month. And then they have check boxes when they did uh, the, the care. And so this happened to be maybe a, like a 12 hour period that I was looking at. And so I wanted to say, oh, well, look, they took you know, such good care of this person from here to here, here. And when I looked at the check boxes, there were none filled in. <laughs> so I thought, oh my, this is gonna be a challenge. So then I had to go to the narrative notes and hopefully find some some good things that I could, you know, rest a defense upon to show the attorney. So after after doing the chronology, I do what's called a clinical analysis or an initial initial medical analysis. And I will, you know, review the issues. Then I will um, point out the strengths of the case, the weaknesses of the case and recommendations. For example, if we don't have all of the medical records, I would, I would recommend specifically which records to obtain because we had additional healthcare providers that were identified. So, um, so that's, that's how I would present it, the products to, the work product to the attorney. And you're making me think, Tez, about cases I've worked on where the battleground for the defense is, well, you don't expect us to document every single thing that our nurses do. And just because the check boxes are not marked doesn't mean that the care wasn't delivered. And then the plaintiff attorney turns around and says, but if the patient did get all the good quality care that you say you delivered, then we wouldn't be talking right now. So that whole issue of quality of documentation, and especially in my experience in nursing home cases, that creates a lot of discussion, a lot of analysis. I don't know if you've ever worked on a case, Tez, where people were documenting care that they gave to the nursing home resident after that person left the facility. Oh, my gosh. But there's still somebody checking off the boxes. Yeah, yes, I have come across that, and that's... That's very hard to defend. Very. <laughs> my, um, very. you know, my background is defense. I, I am now doing some plaintiff cases, but this, so that makes it very difficult mm -hmm. to explain why you did that. Now, I would imagine that when you first got involved in legal nurse consulting, I, I know it's been at least 13 years from the bio that you gave me, you were working with paper records are you seeing now um, totally electronic medical records, a mix of paper and electronic, or 
or purely paper medical records in the cases that you review? Before we continue with the show, I'd like to share this special announcement with you. I'd like you to consider these truths. Every attorney has their unique personality, work style, and needs. Every LNC brings unique clinical experience, training, and education to their work. Our personalities, work styles, and needs are also individualized. Your well-worded, unique selling proposition will attract those attorneys whose qualities match yours. I'm Pat Iyer, the author of Your Ideal Attorney Clients, How to Connect with Them by Speaking Their Language. In this book, I provide you with the benefit of over 30 years of running successful legal nurse consulting business. This book will help you gain clarity about who you want as a client. Yes, you have a choice. And focusing on your preferences helps you to define the unique selling proposition that will attract your ideal clients. Learn what your ideal clients need and fear. Define what makes you unique. Discover how to design your marketing material to attract your ideal client. In this essential book, you'll learn step-by-step how to emphasize what makes you unique as an LNC. This will put you in the enviable position to attract and keep the attorneys who most benefit from your special talents. Get your copy at lnc.tips forward slash creating series. Now let's return to the show. I would say right now my cases are 80%, well, between 80 and 90% electronic, which is good for me, but um, I have had one attorney in the last four years who um, in these records were about, I want to say maybe 4,000 pages and definitely he wanted paper. Mm-hmm. So that made it difficult. And then the last firm that I worked, the um, in-house, the attorney that I was working with wanted only paper. So that made it, that makes it difficult. But as a long time LNC doing nursing home cases or medical malpractice cases, um, I really balked at the electronic records at first. I didn't like them at all because you can find such detail in the narrative records. So um, I always uh, encourage looking at, digging into the records to see if there are any narrative notes, because those can also identify important information. Yeah, you're right. I, I know about that transition. There's really two transitions, right? Going from purely handwritten records to electronic medical records, which you received in paper form. Mm -hmm. And then the transition went from the paper electronic printed out. Oh my gosh, yes. To the purely um, Adobe PDF files that have come into your possession. Right. Do you have a preference in terms of working with paper versions of the electronic medical record versus 
the electronic PDF files for the medical records? What I usually do, I, I, um, when I receive the records in digital form, I usually, I use Adobe Pro. Mm -hmm. I'm not promoting Adobe Pro, but that's my preference. And um, so I, I um, download everything into Adobe Pro and then I bookmark the records and um, organize them within Adobe. They have bookmarks, a bookmark feature there that you can do that. Um, and that makes it easier for me. So now actually I prefer to get the electronic records. Mm -hmm. Now I will print out, I still use paper where I find something um, detailed. If it's a hospital case, which we're discussing nursing home, um, but there could be a post an operative report within that record. I like to, um, to print it out so that I can highlight, physically highlight and break it down. It makes it easier for me to, mm -hmm. compare, to go back and compare to nurses' notes or previous points in the record. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I would imagine there are times that you need to do some research about a specific aspect of medical or nursing care. What are some of the, the sources that you like to go to? Okay. If, um, if I'm just communicating a medical term to, to the attorney, like translating, I simply go to Google. Now they would have, they could do that themselves, but they really don't have the time to do it. Mm -hmm. So I may just go to Google and say, uh, maybe put in brackets in bold that like, let's just say ambulation. Everybody, mostly everybody knows what that is, but if the attorney may not know, so I'll put in brackets walking or assistance with walking. And that simply will, you know, doesn't take a lot of time for them. And it kind of tells them what that is. Now, if I need, if it's not only going to the attorney, if they need it as a peer review, um, peer review source, then I would go to um, PubMed is my favorite. I've gone to Google, uh, Google Scholar, but I find that I, I don't find it as effective as PubMed. Mm -hmm. the, main thing, the main thing that I, ha I have to be careful of if I do go to PubMed, they have, um, I have to look at the date of, of that the article was written to make sure it matches the date that the incident occurred, mm -hmm. the date that the resident was in the nursing home. Um, and also, I try to identify articles that are he written here. Sometimes you'll get like an article from Australia, which, and there's nothing wrong with that at all. But I think if you're going to support the case from here, then you might need like the cardiology association or whatever. And um, sometimes there are international associations and I, and I use those references. But to begin, I, I usually go to PubMed. Mm -hmm. Certainly citing the literature from your country is one of the principles, particularly if you're trying to establish the standard of care for your country. Um, I remember as an aside, many years ago, I went to the 
International Council of Nurses. I was presenting there on patient safety. And it was right when the rapid response teams were being formed. And I was in the room with the woman in New Zealand, a nurse in New Zealand, who had introduced the concept of a rapid uh, response team to her ICU. And I listened to her describe how she took on this opportunity to improve the quality of the care. And then later on, realized, as I saw uh, hospitals all over the world embracing rapid response teams. Right. It was so exciting to think that came from a nurse. Yes. Yeah. To push for that reform and everyone in the world picking up, that's a great idea in implementing it in their country. So, you know, one person can make a huge difference. That is correct. Yes. Well, let's focus a little bit in the remaining time that we have on your straddling of two roles. You've been in-house. You're independent now. You've seen it from both perspectives. Many of our listeners have not had that opportunity to look at this lens of legal nurse consulting from two different ways of viewing the role. Tell us, first of all, you know, what are some of the pros and cons of working in-house in a law firm with attorneys? Um, well, uh, a lot of the, pro the pros, um, you, I would almost be on a one-to-one -one with the attorneys. I would have a very good working relationship with them. And I would almost be on the same thought pattern uh, before any, before any, requests were made. Um, also, the camaraderie of the office staff is important to me, was important to me. Um, it made you, the, the firms I worked with pretty much I felt at home because it, it was, although it was a large, large firms, the medical malpractice section was smaller. So mm -hmm. right at home. Um, well, the big advantage is that you have a steady paycheck <laughs> and yes. holidays and benefits. <laughs> so, um, so that's something to consider. And when I think when a legal nurse is first starting out, that's a great place to learn because you learn right from, you know, right from the source, from the medical malpractice attorneys, whether it's plaintiff or defense and you learn the process and what's important to them. And I think, I think it's, it's a big advantage if you work in-house before you do contract work. It mm -hmm. wasn't for me. Mm -hmm. um, now, the advantages of contract work, I can set my own hours, which I do. Um, however, I have to be very disciplined about that I can't say, oh, I'm just going to take the morning off and I'll work this afternoon. I could, but then if if there's a client who's who uh, is better approached in the morning, then I still have to have certain boundaries for myself. Mm -hmm. And I have to be very uh, disciplined. So, and set, I, I like to set um, time blocks on, a ca on my calendar. Where like from, okay, from 10 o'clock to 12 o'clock, I'm going to make calls, marketing calls um, from, you know, and just, 
just do it that way. And then maybe from four to six, I'll do whatever needs to be done at, at the house, you know. And um, so it, it takes a lot of discipline to be a contract nurse. Mm -hmm. When you're making these marketing calls, what are you doing? Who are you calling and what are you saying? Well, I'm usually calling an attorney. Well, the office. And first, you know, you never can, I never get directly, or it's rare that I get directly to the attorney. So I usually um, speak with the gatekeeper, so to speak, the secretary or the paralegal. And I try to establish a rapport with them because if I don't, then it's just, I'll never get to talk to the attorney. So I'll try to have a conversation with them um, such that some paralegals are threatened by nurses because we, they, they feel like we're going to intrude on their part of their position. And so I like to take the approach that I know you have a, you have a lot of responsibility and I know that medical records are time consuming. Wouldn't it be nice if you had someone to help you with that and you could spend more time on other tasks. So I try to approach it that way that I'm, you know, about that what do they need? What, mm -hmm. what does a paralegal need? And then if that rapport is settled, then I can usually take another step and say, well, can I, would it be okay if I set an appointment to speak with the attorney and um, see what response I get there? Mm -hmm. but, if you had to categorize what rate of success that you have, what number or what percentage of the time do you think that those calls have been successful for you? Well, um, it does take persistence. So I would say if I make 30 calls during a week, I may get two. Um, opportunities for a sales call, which would be, you know, speaking to the sales call. I don't like to use that term, but mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a good term. Right. So when I would get in, you know, when I would actually speak with the attorney and be able to tell them and, 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 you know, what services I provide. And so, mm -hmm. um, but it, it, you know, it's never on the first time it takes multiple no's before you get to that. Yes. Yeah, you know, it's it's an interesting and um, a tricky kind of a set of statistics. One of the people in my coaching program, LNC Success Connection, called an attorney who was looking for a person with her expertise that day. And it was this oh beautiful match. I was just looking for somebody who with your background. And incredible. there are other experiences that are probably more typical of what you've gone through where you have to be able to accept rejection and knows and be able to do that persistently in the face of people who are sometimes negative, sometimes rude, sometimes feel like they are entitled to hang up on you. <laughs> yes. And yet you've got that opportunity. You never know which of those two calls out of the 30 is going to turn into an opportunity to work with the attorney. That's correct. And a lot of um, my success at getting cases has also been through word of mouth. So once you get that yes, then 
that opens the door to word of mouth from the initial attorney to other attorneys who say, this nurse did some work for me and it was really great. And why don't you give them a call? So it's um, mm -hmm. built up your network. I had a call this morning with a nurse who's been working for 19 years as a legal nurse consultant, and she has never had a website. She has never done marketing. She's gotten all of her work through repeat business and referral, word of mouth, one attorney telling another attorney, telling another attorney for 19 years. Oh, my goodness. That's wonderful. And also, also, she probably, or he, I'm not sure, what, um, has established relationships with those clients, mm -hmm. which, which is gratifying to me if I have that relationship, more so than if you just did um, a case and sent it off and that was the end of it. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, it is so rewarding to have that repeat business. When I was running my business full time, we used to keep um, statistics about what percentage of our attorneys came back again for another case. And it was about 85 to 90% of the attorneys oh, we worked with were repeat business. Oh, that is awesome. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's taking the time to establish and make that connection, doing a great job for the attorney making sure that you're thorough, that the attorney is pleased, that you're returning calls promptly. Uh, just before you and I started recording today, Tez, I was on the phone with one of my clients who was upset that he had been trying to reach a nursing expert and she wasn't returning his calls. Oh. And I emailed her and said, please call him. He's trying to reach you. And he said, you know, it shouldn't take you having to get involved in order for her to call me back. He's right. He uh, is right, yes. I don't know why she hasn't responded to him, but uh, it, it's not good for the relationship. And I have a feeling that, you know, that, that this isn't going to be a repeat opportunity, that he's going to want to work with her again, because it's so critical for the attorney to be able to reach the experts and consultants who he has retained to work on cases. Right. Oh. But in any event, if somebody wanted to reach you after listening to this podcast on the audio channels or watching them on our YouTube channels, we have our legal nurse podcasts are on legal nurse business on YouTube. What would be the best way to make that connection with you? Um, well, excuse me. I would like them to email me, and it is a long email address. It's um, the name of my company is Just In Case LLC, and I do medical record review and analysis. So the email would be t b r y a r s at justincaselegalnurse.com. So hopefully once you have that in your contacts, you can just click it from the down. <laughs> yes, that'll be in the show notes of this podcast. You've given us great information today. I know we've covered a lot of aspects, including the nursing home medical record, 
the software that you use to pull out information, our preferences for paper versus electronic medical records. We talked about using PubMed in order to do some research. And we also talked about some of the differences between being in-house versus being an independent LNC. And I know that for our listeners who have been following us along, they've gotten a lot of valuable information from you, Tess. And I appreciate your sharing your tips and your experience with our listener. Okay. Well, I did want to add if, um, if the listeners would send me their email address, I'd be happy to send them um, just a small bullet a pinpoint of the sections within the nursing home records and what to look for when they analyze them. Oh yeah, that would be quite valuable for nursing home cases. And for you who's watching this program, thank you for being with us. Be sure to go to the show notes for legalnursebusiness.com. The podcast is at podcast.legalnursebusiness.com. You can sign up to receive the transcripts of these podcasts, which we're happy to share with you. We get them transcribed by a human, so they are not done by artificial intelligence. They are proofread, and they're available for you to be able to refer to when you want to go back to a particular show and pull out some of the information that our guest shared. And be sure to come back next week for a new show for Legal Nurse Podcast. We started in September of 2016. At the time that Tez and I are recording this, we are headed towards uh, beginning our seventh year of Legal Nurse Podcast. And love the fact that many of the listeners have told me that you value these shows you listen to them when you're taking your dog for a walk or you're doing your exercise routine or driving to work and appreciate what we share. Thanks so much. Thank you, Pat. This is Pat Iyer and Christine Dorman. We have just finished a legal nurse podcast about critical care medication errors. Christine, please give our viewer or our listener just a, um, a listing of some of the topics that we covered on the topic of critical care medication errors. Yes, Pat, thank you for the question. We talked about how a legal nurse consultant can assess if there has been a medication error that's occurred. We also talked about the nursing staffing shortage as it relates to medication errors. We spoke about communication as well as the impact that it may have on litigation regarding medication errors. And we also spoke about the medications that are may frequently be used in critical care that can be deemed high risk that can contribute to medication errors. We came away from this podcast with a, a clear sense of the complexity of the critical care environment and how a medication error can tip the scales in a patient who's already unstable and then lead to catastrophic outcomes. Christine shared some of the common medication errors that can occur in critical care and how you as a legal nurse consultant can assist the attorney in detecting them. Be sure to get Christine's podcast at Legal Nurse Podcast.
you'll get some tips that will help you in analyzing a critical care medication error. Thanks so much. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Check out Pat Iyer's resources for legal nurse consultants on LegalNurseBusiness.com. Pat coaches legal nurse consultants so they make more money, get more clients, and avoid expensive mistakes. Check out her coaching program at LNCAcademy.com. Please subscribe to our podcast and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Join our community to get notified of each new episode and to receive the transcript of today's program. Complete the request form on podcast.legalnursebusiness.com. We appreciate you and your interest. <laughs>